to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at DTCPod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG organic creative. Use the code DTCPOD10 for 10% off your next content purchase. Are you curious how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from OpenStore at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is the leading subscription management solution, helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTCPod. What's up, DTC Pod? Today we're joined by Lee Jasalavitz, who is the co-founder of the Quality Edit. So Lee, I'll let you kick us off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what you guys are building at the Quality Edit? Yeah, of course. Um, I can take us all the way back. Um, I'll keep it brief, but I'll take us back to um, when I started working in the digital advertising space um, at a small agency, well, at the time was small, um, called Hog Media in LA. Um, and that was a, almost a decade ago. Um, and that was really the golden era of Facebook ads and starting online businesses. Um, it seemed like anyone could spin up a, a Shopify site and make a half decent product with no real branding, um, make some pretty average Facebook ads and be very successful. Um, so the agency really blew up um, and so did the industry. Uh, so after a, f a few pretty uh, grueling years there, um, I then wanted to get some in-house experience. Um, so I joined Ritual um, right around when the brand um, launched uh, and I head up growth there um, for about four years, helping take the company from the ground floor to the nine figure business that it is today. Um, and that <laughs> brings me to the quality edit um, story. Uh, Ritual is where my co-founder Lauren, who was on the podcast last week um, or a few weeks ago, uh, and I met uh, at Ritual and we were sitting side by side for three years, uh, tinkering around with like high impact growth ideas and strategies and what we really found most successful um, and what ultimately changed the trajectory for Ritual um, was a few bespoke uh, content partnerships with a handful of top tier publishers, uh, like BuzzFeed was, was one of the standout ones. Um, and we worked with them in ways that had never really been done before, um, leveraging their press and leveraging their editorial in paid acquisition, paid advertising, um, in new and novel ways. Um, and it was at the time really groundbreaking and really um, really changed the trajectory for Ritual and, and set it uh, on its way. 
Um, so we, we kind of found this like magic sauce uh, with Lauren being on the partnerships and storytelling side, um, passionate about helping brands sort of share their story in an authentic and compelling way. And me on the acquisition side, um, really like thrilled and obsessed with driving measurable customer and revenue growth for businesses. Um, and when those two things came together, um, you know, we kind of made the, made the magic happen. Um, and, you know, Lauren and I, outside of work, we're also um, consumers ourselves. Um, we shop online too much. Um, we were also advisors and investors um, to other direct-to-consumer brands, um, and we were constantly trying new products. And then we kind of had this aha moment that although there did seem to be a new direct-to-consumer brand popping up on a daily basis, um, there wasn't really an authority in the space helping to actually vet and discover all of those brands. Um, so at the start of the pandemic, when we had very little excuses, we, um, we co-founded The Quality Edit. <laughs> Got it. And yeah, it's so fascinating in terms of like the, the career trajectory going from running performance and acquisition at uh, a really uh, successful D2C brand into this new sort of space where you were seeing as one of your m most popular channels. So before we get too far into the quality edit, and I want to be able to kind of unpack that with you, go through literally how you guys are building it um, and everything about it. But let's step back a, a little bit to Ritual, right? So you having been there over the course of four plus years, you saw a, a brand really grow from um, you know, a smaller sort of D2C brand all the way up to, to you mentioned a nine, nine figure brand through all of these channels. So what was that like along the way? What were, you know, how did you think about growth when you got there in the early days? Was it just Facebook ads at that time? What were some of the acquisition channels you were relying on? And then from there, like, where did you start? Um, you know, what were some of the really successful initiatives that you mentioned? I know you just mentioned this one and we'll definitely get into that, but what are all of some of the things that worked really well and maybe not so well at Ritual? Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it's a great question. Um, like I mentioned at, at that time, um, I had just left the agency where um, it was pretty much Facebook ads. Like people were just running Facebook ads and, run, and driving really successful businesses. Um, and so when Ritual hired me, I think they and I thought that that would be the case. <laughs> like, I'm just going to run some Facebook ads for the next few years and we'll be golden. Um, and when I joined Ritual, it, Facebook advertising, we had recent, they had recently launched, but Facebook advertising was 95 to 98% of their customer acquisition. Um, and I was already starting to feel a little bit concerned with that. <laughs> um, so the first thing I did was, okay, what, what other channels can we find these consumers? Because it just seems very concerning to be 95% dependent um, on Facebook ads. Um, so one of the first things we, we turned on um, in a real way uh, was sort of the next obvious digital channel being Google um, for vitamins. Google's really a strong place to be. There's really strong search intent. People are very specifically looking for whether it's a prenatal vitamin or a multivitamin uh, or, a, you know, postmenopause or whatever it may be, people are searching for what they need. Um, so it was almost like, you know, crazy to not be showing up there um, and was it became very quickly a really big channel for ritual. 
Um, and then we really um, started to look to what we kind of put into this um, partnerships influencer third party validation bucket where we essentially, I think, grew um, the company and, and the whole growth program through. Um, and that included everything from podcasts, which became a, a very big channel for Ritual. And one thing that um, really stood out to me, particularly in podcasts, but some of these other channels as well that I'll get into, was um, as a subscription business, we had visibility into um, where our best customers were coming from. And podcast customers were always at the top of that list. Um, I think those are the customers that really you know, took the time to educate themselves, were really, you know, not making impulse decisions on like seeing a cute Instagram ad. Um, and um, that more educated consumer really stuck around and became that really high LTV customer that we were trying to acquire. Um, so then we kind of became obsessed, like where else can we find um, this type of customer? Um, and that was definitely through those um, editorial partnerships that I mentioned um, and through influences. Um, I was very uh, skeptical about influencer marketing, um, I have to admit. I was very much proven wrong. It is very much still alive and it's a very strong um, channel to acquire customers through, um, but it is a very tedious channel. Um, and so as we started building out the influencer marketing program, that's really when we had to uh, grow the growth team. We needed a lot of human resources. Um, so, you know, the team started with really myself um, and our, our VP of marketing, um, and then, you know, grew to a team of, you know, nine, 10, um, primarily focused on these influencer channels since they're not as easy as uh, Facebook and, and Google where, you know, you can have a really strong performance marketer kind of pulling those levers and setting those budgets and you can go from 10K spend a day to 100K spend a day if you're, if you're doing things right, but that's just not the case on some of these more um, difficult channels to scale like influencer marketing and podcasts. So um, we were very hands-on um, with everybody that touched the brand, every single, uh, you know, influencer, podcast host, at least at the beginning, we, we, we got on calls, we really educated on the brand um, and we're trying to, you know, uh, build a, a large group of influencers that really knew our story and our products and um, vitamins are not very simple. There's a lot, uh, there's a lot of, you know, the, the ingredients are very specific and, and nuanced and the benefits are not always obvious. Um, so you really have to kind of um, be able to educate the people that are educating the, the end consumers. Uh, so long story short, <laughs> those are some of the channels that um, really helped take Ritual to the next level. Um, and we, we really proved very quickly that Facebook ads wasn't going to get the job done. Um, and we, we really scaled into a lot of those additional third-party validation channels. Yeah, and the thing that really is exciting about how you were thinking about things was kind of this idea of like the right customer and the right intent um, around how you're, you're acquiring them, right? Because like if you're putting... Face, if you're just running Facebook ads all day at a certain point, A, like that network is going to be, that traffic becomes more expensive over time as more competitors come onto the platform. But B, 
like you were saying, it, you don't even know what type of customers that you're acquiring. Maybe that someone sees an ad and they're like, oh, click, like I'll, I'll buy that, but they don't know why they're there and they're just going to churn and they're not going to have the LTV, which in a subscription business is super, super important. Um, so going back and revisiting that idea of like really strong intent and being able to target these in these channels, one thing you had mentioned was Google and Google search because people who are searching for these specific vitamins are probably going to be high intent buyers, right? So what was your strategy there? Were you thinking about it in like an organic search search sense, like an AdWords sense, both? And like, how did you like launch that um, campaign? Yeah, definitely. Um, very much both. Um, the, the first initiative was on the paid side. So getting those paid Google ads up, making sure that we have those paid ads showing up pretty much with every or close to every um, vitamin search, you know, within our right, correct demos. Um, but I think what's even more interesting is on the organic side. Um, I think that there's a lot of interesting ways to show up on Google that are not just um, through paid ads. Uh, so we really started ramping up a lot of SEO and affiliate initiatives, which sometimes are um, one in the same or sometimes two different things um, on the SEO side, um, brought in-house a really incredible editorial writer um, to ramp up the frequency of blogs and posts that we were um, publishing on the ritual site um, and really doing the SEO research behind, um, you know, what are, what are the searches that are somewhat relevant that can get people to our site that can help us show up um, and make sure that we're writing quality content um, to, to, to be there. Um, and then I think the, the other thing was not just on our website, but how could we leverage other websites, um, affiliates, publications, blogs, influencer sites, um, and make sure that when they're winning um, and their SEO queries are popping up, how can we be there? Um, and so, again, it came back to this influencer affiliate strategy of, you know, when you go and Google, like, best multivitamins, um, if you did it now, you would probably see Ritual on a lot of those lists. Um, and, you know, luckily, Ritual multivitamin, I'm biased, they do make the best vitamins. <laughs> and so it was an easy pitch to make. And, you know, any of these affiliates um, would, uh, you know, quickly see that. So, you know, there's a little bit of convincing and negotiating and sending product and schmoozing. Um, but as a growth marketer, I always have to, you know, give a lot of credit to the product itself that sort of gives us the opportunity to show up in these types of lists, like a health line, you know, best women's multivitamin as an example. So, you know, it was really my mission over the four years to show up basically in every single result on that first page or first two pages of Google, whether that's through a paid ad, whether that's through Ritual's blog in an organic ad, whether that's through all of the affiliates that um, we are working with, all the influencers, the publications, the blogs. Um, and I, I think we, we did a pretty good job of that, which you can, you can test me on afterwards when you, when you do some multivitamin searches. <laughs> no, I, I, I love that. I think the the strategy is is so good in terms of just being there in in any way shape or form like you were saying it's not just about getting the exact search right like even from a brand marketing point of view 
I know Google will report just on impressions that you might be doing for keywords like ritual. You might have been like, yes, you may have been getting call it like, you know, hundreds or thousands of clicks on specific search results, but you could have been equally doing, you know, 50, 100 X that and just in terms of brand impressions where people maybe aren't clicking your link, but are just like seeing that like blip of, oh, that's ritual. And then when you hit them again, whether through an affiliate, through an ad or elsewhere, they're like, oh, I've seen that. So I think SEO definitely shouldn't be overlooked from a from from an acquisition perspective. And then one thing I wanted to do where, where I think it's really interesting in terms of what you guys did on that side and then like turning that into what you're building with a quality edit now is you were basically saying we have a good product. We're able to approach and build these relationships with all these different publishers and we can set up that affiliate infrastructure so everyone's going to win out. We know we have a good product. It already sells. They're already talking about this. So what did actually not just like building out the partnerships, but what did the like how did you actually set up the affiliate tracking? Were there software tools in place for that already? Did you guys have to build that out yourself? Like how were you able to set up that um, affiliate program for your own specific product with the publishers that you were working with? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And I think that if anybody's listening and they want to build like a really good <laughs> affiliate tracking tool, I think there is space for that. Um, it was very much a triangulation of data pulled from the actual affiliate platforms, uh, the, the share sales of the world, and there's so many of them. <laughs> so making sure that you're checking on the share sale and the pepper jam impact radius and however many they are. Um, but then also, you know, we were lucky enough to have the, the data resources in-house to, to build out really helpful dashboards. We used a tool called Looker that really helped us, um, you know, keep track of all of these various data sources all over the place and make sure we're, you know, both um, tracking performance and finding new opportunities and insights um, from that data. But um, it's definitely not, affiliate tracking is not the prettiest thing, no. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I guess the, the last question I'd have on that before we like move more into quality edit is it like for a brand who's maybe thinking about their own, doing their own affiliate stuff now, is it more about, because I know at the large end of the scale, right, there's like massive affiliate networks that are doing like yeah. tons of traffic and you need to have a really good yeah. offer to be able to sell into those. But for a smaller brand starting up, what are the affiliate opportunities? Is it something you have to build out yourself? Are there resources that you can tap into? Like if you were, imagine you were a small brand, you yeah. start up, you're doing like, call it a million in revenue and you're like, okay, I've done some Facebook stuff. That's kind of working. Yeah. Now I want to like dip my toes into affiliate. How would you, yeah. how would you approach that? Yeah, I would, um, I would start by going after the affiliates or, or blogs or websites that are showing up where I want to show up. Um, so if I'm selling dog food, I would very simple Google search, like what's the best dog food and you know, who's showing up there. Um, and I would, I would reach out directly to those websites um, and I would make them a really compelling offer. I really wouldn't be cheap about it because um, Facebook ads are expensive AF um, and it really means that you have you know, quite a lot of, of budget per customer to play around with um, and really give to an affiliate. Like I would rather give 
$10 to an affiliate, then, you know, pay $30 to acquire a customer on Facebook ads. So, um, like really think about what your customer acquisition cost is and go directly to them and, um, make them a really good offer. Um, a lot of the times the affiliate, uh, commission rates are 10%, 20%. Um, and if you have a low AOV product or, a subscription business um, like Ritual was, that 10% of the first order is pretty meaningless um, to particularly a large affiliate. But you know, as, as a growth marketer, if, you're, if you have a subscription business and you know that the customer is gonna stick around for six months, your order value is not that first month, call it $10. It's, you know, it's over the course of six months. So you can go to that affiliate and say, I'll actually pay you 100% of the first order. I will give you that 100%, it's all yours. Um, and make it pretty hard for them to turn down. Um, it really backs out, it makes sense to do that. And it helps you show up where you need to show up. Um, and it also really helps you build the right uh, retargeting pools and audiences of people that are searching for what you're selling for. So there's also a premium on that, even if they don't check out immediately. Yeah, I think that's such a good point in terms of um, what you're saying about subscription and LTV, right? A lot of brands have figured out where their payback period is on a customer. And if that, like you were saying, you can even get away with, if, you're, if you have the right type of product, giving away the whole offer for free and the affiliate's going to be pumped about that and the customer is going to find it in a way where they have very high intention and they're already being met with uh, with the type of resource that they were looking for in the content to begin with. Um, yeah. So that's awesome. So why don't we move a little bit forward to the quality edit, right? So you clearly have seen this work for a brand, how it can grow. And now you decide to kind of like flip to the other side and you're like, wait a minute, this can be a resource and we can build out a resource that has all these benefits that we've been talking about and we can build it out ourselves. So why don't you tell us yeah. a little bit about, um, you know, what some of the thought processes were going into yeah. like being able to build the quality edit from the ground up, you'd seen the other side. So what were the considerations you had as you went to like build this product yourself? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's as, as a growth marketer, we were working with so many top tier publications um, and with like smaller niche blogs and influences. Um, and there were often very specific things that I needed or wanted or knew would drive success and just kind of couldn't get from the other side. Um, like, hey, BuzzFeed, we're driving all of this traffic to your article, um, but we're losing all of these retargeting audiences. Would you mind sharing those with us? No, like that's not gonna happen. Or, you know, hey, hey, um, you know, X publication, we're seeing pretty strong results on this article, but I think that we could really optimize it if we maybe adjusted the headline to XYZ or we added a CTA. They're not gonna do that. And it just it seemed almost silly to me that a lot of publications are looking for new and modernized ways to monetize, but on, then on the other hand, are not actually listening to uh, the the modern growth market uh, marketers, really. Um, and so after a few, you know, frustrations, we just decided let's let's do it ourselves. We we know that we would need to build a legitimate publication um, because working with brands like Ritual that are very um, precious about their brands, they um, 
you know, they wouldn't want to work with a publication that was kind of just purely selling themselves out. Um, there's a, a church and state in publications that has been around forever where, you know, the partnerships team and the BD team works separately and individually from the editorial team. And we knew that that would be a really important um, part of actually building the publication. And then kind of coming back to the performance side of things, um, we also knew that it would take many uh, sort of tools for success to arbitrage success on paid social. Um, and that would mean we would need high quality editorial. We we would have this you know third party um, validation coming from actually building this publication, a, a real publication. We would need um, UGC ad creative. That's what performs best. So how are we what ads are actually driving traffic to the high quality editorial? If those ads are missing the mark, then that editorial is not really going to see the light of day. And that was another thing that I felt traditional publications were really missing the mark on. Um, we also knew we would need like conversion rate optimization. We would need landing page testing. Um, we would need media management strategy and white whitelisting. Um, you know, this it's this whole like 360 degree ecosystem that nobody was really doing a good job of. There were these traditional publications that were kind of stuck in their way. Um, and then there were these um, very performance-focused performance agencies that were kind of starting to get in on this strategy, but were doing it in a way that almost sacrificed brand. It was like, oh, hey, like, I, you know, I don't care about the quality of this content. Like, it just needs to convert. And I don't care about the authenticity of this content um, or the authenticity of this publication. Um, you know, there's a lot of, like, fake shell uh, <laughs> publications out there that I just knew for brands like Ritual um, and, and, and many others that wouldn't fly. So... Um, all of those things, I was probably just like a long ramble of stuff um, came into the, the creation of the quality edit and how we can really build a performance agency out of a publication to help brands um, acquire customers more efficiently. And another thing to one of your points that you had mentioned before was like the fact that in the the old system, right? You have these publishers and you have PR firms and they're doing all this stuff, but they're not actually like catering a lot of the times to what the customer needs. And I, this is just like an anecdote, but I've seen this time and time again, where like, you know, call it a founder of a company is like, they're working really hard. They secure a PR firm, PR firm gets them a placement in a piece or whatever. And maybe it's like, you know, obviously the PR firm is going to talk it up and they end up getting the piece and then it's like an okay placement, but then they go in, there's no backlink, there's no, like the titles messed up. And then like, there's no recourse to fix that. And that just seems like so obvious because it's just a, it's a horrible customer experience for that founder and the people who are like looking to get placed into those places. They're like paying in, in some cases, you know, 10, 15, 20 K for like one or two articles. And then those articles run and it's like, Oh, what happened there? So, um, so I think that's just something that's like very relatable as people think about like this modern landscape. Um, is that something that you guys have seen before in your past? And is that that's something that you guys can hopefully solve for a little bit better? Yeah, I think I still have nightmares from a, 
I guess I'll just call out it. It was a Vogue article. Um, sorry, Vogue, I still love you. Um, I think we paid somewhere between 30 and 50K off the top of my head. Um, and, you know, it was a pretty big bet that we had taken and I was, I was a little nervous about it, but I was really excited. Um, and then it was just like an absolute disaster. I mean, it was like, it was a complete flop. And not only was it a complete flop, but like, I think there was maybe like six sessions driven to the site or something like that. It was, I mean, it was just, it was, it was awful. Um, so yes, I've had that exact experience, um, with other publications. And that was really something that we, um, wanted to very much avoid with the quality edit um, and really wanted to um, kind of provide the level of of service to D2C brands that they aim to provide to their customers. It's in this industry, it's such a big part of, of success. Um, and we, I think that that has also driven a lot of the quality edit success is, is being able to cater and tailor to the customer in a very real way. So why, why don't you talk us through a little bit about like, let's imagine I'm a D2C brand and I'm looking for an engagement with the quality edit, right? Like, what does that look like? What can I as a brand expect? How does it work? Like, why don't you just walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So um, we work with many D2C brands. Um, and as you know, we, we tailor things to our customers. So because of that, we've we've really pivoted and adjusted according to what we're hearing brands need and want the most. Um, and so we have a few different ways of, of working with us, um, but really the way that we're seeing the most success with um, is pretty much a 360 degree um, media management capacity. So um, a brand will come to us or we'll, we'll go to them. Um, we will, if our editorial team approves, uh, we'll get product sent out to our, our editorial team um, they'll test out the product, try it out. Um, there pretty much always has to be like a genuine, um, interest or, or love for that product. Um, and an editor that's really, you know, going to be able to write an authentic, um, story or review of that product. Um, and then we would also send out the product to, um, our creators who will help create the UGC ad assets. Um, and then we'll align with the brand on what their KPIs are, what their um, targets are, what their CPAs are internally and what their, you know, what their goals are. Um, and then essentially use um, a combination of the UGC assets that we've provided, the editorial that we've created, the third party validation coming from actually driving ads from the quality edit rather than directly from the brand, um, along with all the um, testing and landing page optimization that we do. So it's pretty much uh, a performance agency out of a publication um, that really does everything. Like some brands want to be very hands-off and they kind of say like, hi, you know, chat to you in a month if things are looking good. And we share back a report that's, you know, automated and, and live for them to check in on performance. And it can really be a pretty hands-off and really effective um, performance model. Um, and sometimes we're, you know, we're more hands-on, but um, I think, you know, a lot of performance agencies uh, focus on media management uh, and then need the brand for pretty much everything else. Like, okay, what's the ad copy? What's the 
creative. Can you send me some ad assets? Like, I need your creative team. Um, and the way that the quality edit works is essentially a performance agency if they had every resources that resource that they needed to be successful. Got it. And then the the other question I had there is like, so, you know, you would start, the brand would start working with you. They'll send you the stuff. You guys will do the whole review, the editorial, the, you know, ad copy. It's almost like you're able to like create these like really trustworthy um, because you said like it's it's so important to have that trust and like truly be able to like write and review these products. But you're almost being able to create these like advertorials and landing pages and all these different like assets for these brands that then they can like use and repurpose however they want, right? Like, are you seeing any other sort of use cases where brands, I don't know, are they like, are they running ads to some of the stories that you've done? Are they including those stories in like their newsletters to their customers? Like what are some of the other synergies that come up, come, come out of all these different types of content forms that you're creating? Yeah, no, definitely. Great question. Um, the, the interest, there's, there's a lot of interesting um, sort of insights that we learn through a lot, a lot of these storytelling and content initiatives that we are able to report back and share back with the brand and they'll learn things about their brand and about what's working or not working that they never knew that yes, of course they're, you know, copying, <laughs> they're, they're iterating um, on what we're saying is working. And, you know, we, um, we want that to be the case because our, the, the brands that we work with, their success is our success. And, um, you know, we're really happy when we stumble on something that um, they can really um, take into all of their initiatives across the board. Um, but I'll say what, what really excites us most is when, um, you know, a brand sees that our initiatives are more efficient um, than their internal initiatives and just sort of let us run with that. So we just, you know, we're, we're able to scale and pretty much, you know, increase the quality at an initiative budget, um, whether the brand is decreasing theirs or not, um, kind of varies on a case-to-case basis. But um, we have been able to, you know, scale brands, media spends with TQE, you know, 10x in, in a month, for example. So uh, we've, we've also gotten... Um, really intrigued by how we can actually um, take those insights and scale them even further and diversify them further. And so another thing that we've started doing um, is also influencer whitelisting. Um, and so a brand can, you know, we'll share the story from the quality edit handle and we'll learn that XYZ story is working best. Um, and then we'll start working with our roster of um, creators and influencers and having different voices share a similar story. Um, and have that story come from their voice. So, you know, working with one of our creators or influencers to make that UGC ad, to also write the editorial on thequalityedit.com. Um, it, it creates for multiple funnels, um, you know, that all kind of came from this one umbrella, um, but allows us to constantly kind of diversify the ad account and scale it up. You no, know, that, that makes a ton of sense. And it seems like there's so many, like you were saying, once you've kind of got an engagement going, there's so many different ways that you're able to, there's so many angles that you can attack from, right? Whether it's just the content piece itself at face value, whether it's like the ads that that brand can use, whether it's the whitelisting. So in the, in the case of the whitelisting, does that mean like the influencer might be like, you might like whitelist their account and it might be like the editorial article that you've created, which is being like whitelisted from their account. Is like that it got it. So there's 
all these different avenues that you can use this content and this trustworthy content to um, to continue to grow. And I think that's what that's really cool that it's not just a one dimensional play. There's like so many different levels to it, right? Because that face value, if you just look at the quality edit, you're like, okay, this is a great like editorial site, but you don't really realize that like it actually goes a couple levels deeper. And like, once you understand what's going on under the hood, you're like, oh, okay, this makes a ton of sense for brands and why they would, um, would engage with you guys. So why don't, so let's step back and let's go into a little bit about, um, just like from, from the user's perspective, right? Like, why don't you talk to me about like the quality edit, what some of the initiatives are, because clearly you guys have like gift guides, articles, shopping guides. So like, how do you think about like your content strategy and like what the users are actually interacting with? Like, how, how are you thinking about that whole experience? Yeah, so we, um, I would say about 10% of the content that we publish to our site is content that's in partnership with brands. Um, and it's always labeled as such. Um, but like I mentioned, it was really important to us from the beginning and, and through everything that we do to really build a publication that we would actually want to read, um, that we would be interested in and that we would want to come back to. Um, and so 90% of our content is based on what is getting the most engagement and what people are coming back to look for. Um, and we've gotten really creative with like a couple of different, you know, content verticals. Um, but at a high level, I think the the gift guide or listicle roundup um, type of content really does um, resonate with with people and is really enjoying enjoying to consume. Um, and I think what we're you know really excited about is there's we started with this niche of the direct-to-consumer brands and the D2C space and, and all of the products that are being launched. But I think that there's a level kind of deeper, which is the actual consumer that is purchasing those D2C brands also has very specific, you know, lifestyle needs and goes to very specific restaurants and travels in a, in a very specific way. And um, I, I actually don't think that there's many publications that are speaking to this exact consumer um, in a way that we can and will continue to do. So um, we're excited to, to keep evolving um, our content and, um, you know, help curate, um, the sort of modern day consumers lives across a lot of things that they do. Well, I think what's what's really cool there is if you just think of the trajectory of the business, right? Like you as the quality edit, you guys, yes, you do the performance uh, marketing piece and all this sort of stuff, but you guys are a business in of yourself. And just to think about the direction and how um, and, and basically what you're building is like the modern day almost like the modern day publishing house that's suited for what brands and people who are really going to be paying and sinking ad budgets and do what they really need, right? If you're able to solve this problem for D2C and consumer brands that are selling physical products, like you were saying, you can do the same sort of things for whether it's restaurants, whether it's hotels, local guides, local services, like there's so many different ways in which you can expand into like lifestyle and other opportunities. And those companies are, they need services just like this, just in the same. So it just becomes a really cool, when you think about it, where the growth path is, uh, it, there's just so many opportunities to be able to go after, right? Exactly. Yeah, you summed that up really well. 
So um, the, the, one of the last questions I have before we wrap up here is, um, you know, from here, like, what was it like building, what was it like building a team out to do this? Like, what is the, like, from a company perspective, how has it been building the company? Because you, you guys obviously need writers, you're working with all these different clients, you're executing all these different services. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about what it's been like so far, like as a founder, building the quality edit out as a company? Yeah. Um, so the first thing I'll say is that I, I am, I'm very passionate about building teams. It's, it's always been something that I've loved doing um, throughout my career. And so I think that. Um, I think that that's really the most necessary, you know, maybe skill um, for a founder. Um, so I feel really, you know, grateful and excited to have built a team around me that has really been able to, um, you know, grow TQE over the, over the last two years um, much faster than, than I would ever loan. Um, I think one thing as a founder that I as a first time founder, um, that I don't know how prepared I was, was the ups and downs <laughs> are very real. Um, and so I think you, you gotta like learn to, to try to be a little bit more like even keel and cool. Um, but you know, especially now when things are volatile in the direct to consumer space, in the digital advertising space, in the industry in the world right now um, and our business is obviously going to to fluctuate with that um, has definitely been a very humbling experience um, but yes yeah, so I, I that to maybe kind of come back to the question um, and answer how we built the quality edit out between Lauren um, my third co-founder Scott and myself um, we all very much stay in our lanes, um, and I think I think that the partnership between the three of us has really been uh, a big moat for us. Um, where I believe Lauren is the best at what she does, I believe I'm the best at what I do. Um, just after I said I was humbled, um, and uh, Scott is the best at what he does, and and we really, you know, Scott's job was to build out the editorial team. Um, has brought on, I think, 50 plus um, of the best editors from high tier publications. I've brought brought on um, performance and growth marketers um, that also are the best in the industry. And we've really been able to prove out success for our performance partners. I know Lauren shares this stat over and over again, but uh, we're seeing a 30% decrease in CPAs and 20% increase in ROAS, typically in comparison to brands' internal accounts. Um, and that's, um, you know, we're beating internal accounts 90% of the time. Uh, so yeah, I think that that um, moat of a leadership team um, and each of us really being able to grow our functions um, and work really well together, but still allow one another to kind of take the lead on what they do best um, has really been been the, the moat and differentiator for us and has helped us um, grow quickly. Yeah, and it, it's so important that you guys have different qualities and skill sets that are where you can kind of stay in your own lane and really own a different suite and those all those different functions are totally different so as we think about like 
So now that your skill set is you're on the growth and the performance side of a growth and performance minded product, <laughs> how do you think about growing uh, the the quality edit? Like, what are some of the initiatives with your growth hat on? Like, how do you grow this publication to continue to be successful? Yeah, I think that um, one thing that is more important than ever is first party data. Um, any growth marketer will know that there's a, a serious loss uh, in third-party data right now and um, post-iOS uh, has made things extra challenging in an already challenging environment. Um, and so I think that building an audience uh, and building that first-party data um, is going to become more and more valuable and, and brands will pay more and more for it. Um, so one of my main priorities as a, as a growth marketer, when it comes to kind of putting my growth hat on for the quality edit and not necessarily for the partners that we work with is, is really building that first party data and building up those audiences and getting email addresses and texts and, um, sending surveys out to our customers and, um, you know, learning about what they're interested in, who they are. Um, and I think that having that data uh, and building that pool of data will just get more and more valuable. Um, so that's a, you know, huge priority and focus. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the client side and building out our, our client base, just continuing to listen to brands and what they need. Um, you know, I think that this uh, influencer whitelisting world is such a, a tedious thing to kind of pull off at scale. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned, kind of going back to the ritual days and hiring so many people to be able to, you know, vet influences and negotiate with them and get whitelisting access and, and monitor their creative and make edits. And, um, you know, it's just such a crazy process that I think um, in building out, out our own roster of creators and influencers um, that brands can tap into that have also been vetted and tested. Um, and, you know, we've sort of done the trial and error so brands don't have to do all the testing that we've almost already done. Um, I think that that's, that's an area that we're really focusing on um, on the growth and client side as well. Yeah, and it's great being able to apply that growth uh, function to both sides, right? Not only the services that you're offering to the brands, but also this customer base and this readership. And how did the, the, I guess the last question I have in terms of like growing an audience, right? Because it's different than in some cases, it's different than like a brand who's going to have a bunch of emails and they're sending content around like, hey, here's our new product releases or a service, like a consumer service or consumer technology where you're like, you can send push notifications and you're like, here's our service here where we can engage you. So a lot of times you're going to be engaging your audience. That's, um, you know, a readership through new content. So is it, does it take the form of like, do you guys have a newsletter that you think about things? Like, how are you driving your first party traffic and how are you capturing more and gathering more? Of, yeah. Uh, readers. Yeah, they are, our our newsletter um, is something that I admittedly neglected in our first uh, year, I would say. Um, so we kind of lagged in the growth department on the newsletter, but have really been focusing um, and ramping that up. Um, you know, in the last year, um, just last week, actually, we launched a bit of a rebrand and a site redesign. Definitely check it out. It looks it looks awesome. Um, and that site redesign has also helped us surface content in really uh, fun and interesting and easily shoppable ways. 
um, that we're definitely taking into our newsletter. And, you know, we have some recurring um, content buckets like a launch digest that people, you know, really come back to and like a add to cart, like which of our, what are our editors' favorite picks? And so starting to kind of build those verticals that people are excited to get in their inbox um, every week and just growing out that um, that audience. And, and only now really starting to uh, do our own growth market Marketing to actually acquire um, newsletter subscribers, which is something we we actually haven't um, done yet. No, so so exciting! So many different initiatives to take on. I just like it because I feel like a lot of the businesses. I, I feel like you guys are doing something that's like really you know novel and unique, and I think it's just really cool to think about how these type of businesses are built. Where on the surface level, if you look at it, you might be like, "Oh, okay, I generally get it," but when you really look under the hood, it's really cool to to think about. So as we wrap up here, Lee. Where can our listeners um, connect with the Quality Edit and maybe other founders if they're trying to find you? Are you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Like, what are what are the best channels for both the Quality Edit and you yourself? Yes, definitely. Please um, reach out to me at lee at thequalityedit.com. Luckily, my first name is a little bit more easy than my last name. It's just L-E-E. Um, Check out the site, thequalityedit.com and our Instagram. Um, And you can also find me on LinkedIn if you're able to spell my last name, Jocelyn. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on with us. And we can't wait to see you guys continue to grow. Thank you so much. It was great. Thanks for tuning in. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.